When Georgia picked up the tail three blocks from her apartment two days later, an uneasy feeling shot through her. How long had he been following her? How had she missed him? She hadn't been paying attention, that's how. Totally unacceptable. Her powers of observation were supposed to be incontestable, first rate. She tried to rationalize. People didn't follow her, it was usually the other way around. She had been preoccupied. She wasn't on the clock. No. No excuses. She was no better than the teenagers she'd tailed the other day. More important, excuses wouldn't solve the problem. She forced herself to focus on the now. Do the reconnaissance. Take appropriate action. Passing a bookstore, she stole a glance in the window. A man was about a hundred yards behind her. Burly. Caucasian. Brown jacket, jeans, work boots, wool hat. Shoulders hunched against the cold, hands slouched in pockets. She couldn't see his face, but he didn't seem to be anything special. Just an average guy. An amateur, too, to be so obvious. Was he connected to the flash mob? Frigid air stung her face, but she picked up her pace. Chicagoland was in the grip of a bitter cold, the kind of cold that made people grateful for any bit of warmth, even the exhaust from a bus. She was bundled up herself, a bulky, nondescript figure heading south on Sherman Avenue. It would be hard to recognize anyone. So where did he pick her up? Had he been staking out her apartment? She slowed, reviewing basic counter-surveillance techniques. She could climb on a bus, take it down Howard, and then switch to the L or a cab. Or she could double back to Benson Avenue, cut through the parking lot, and circle around the bank. She'd likely lose him either way, but both options would mean staying outside. The sky was that miserable, dirty gray that blanketed Chicago from November until March, and the numbing cold sapped her resolve. Losing him wouldn't tell her why he'd been tailing her in the first place. She stopped outside a coffee shop on the corner of Sherman and Davis, hoping he'd follow her in. It was a 50-50 shot. As she pushed through the door, a coffee-scented gust of warmth wafted over her. She went to the front window and waited. He didn't appear. Georgia frowned. Was he not sure he had the right target? Had someone ordered him not to approach but simply report in? Or was he a pervert waiting for the right moment to pounce? She waited another few seconds, then turned around and unzipped her jacket. Whoever he was, whatever he wanted, he could damn well freeze his ass off. She wouldn't. She headed over to the counter. There were only a couple of other people in the shop besides Paul Crosby, who was working the afternoon shift. Tall, slim, with brown hair, Paul had a sweet face marred by an ugly mole on his left cheek. She worried about that mole and kept nagging him to get it looked at, but Paul was cavalier, claiming it was the mark of God. What sort of mark he couldn't explain. He moonlighted as a drummer for a blues band, and she'd spent plenty of nights at Hanson's listening to him jam. He'd even come on to her once or twice, but they were listless, half-hearted passes. Now he was wiping down the espresso machine. She cleared her throat. 
He looked up and brightened. Hey, what's happening, Peaches? My bones are cold. No sense telling him about the tale. They'd both know soon enough. I got just the thing. Paul began playing with the levers of a giant metallic coffee machine with lots of tubes, valves, and handles. Steam hissed, curled into the air, and dissipated. Black liquid dropped into a cup. He pulled another lever. Something sputtered and white foam covered the black. He slapped a top on the cup and handed it to Georgia. She took a sip. Thanks. This hits the spot. She went back to the window. She couldn't see the guy. 